Good morning, and uh, we welcome you this morning to our uh, live broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in uh, this morning, uh, or you may be listening in a rebroadcast later in the day or this week. We appreciate you uh, tuning in uh, today. Uh, we hope each of you are doing uh, well at home, and just want to remind you again uh, as we continue to watch uh, the active cases in our county, uh, we'll continue to meet uh, this way in these days of our prayers that soon cases will go down and then we can again, uh, as we feel, safely and effectively meet here on the church property. But until then, uh, we're thankful for the resources and the technology that God has allowed us to acquire uh, to be able to do uh, services the way that we are in these days. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer now and let's ask for his guidance and his leadership over this service and over our hearts and our wills and our lives today. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for this day uh, that you have made. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. God, the love that you've demonstrated toward us. While we were yet sinners, you sent your Son to die in our place. Father, we're so thankful for sustaining grace that you have promised that even the most difficult trials, hardships, and challenges that we go through in our lives, that your grace, your amazing grace, will be sufficient to strengthen us and carry us through those times. Father, we pray for uh, those that are listening this morning, who those who have physical challenges that they are dealing with. We're aware of those who will have surgeries next week, those that are dealing with ongoing injuries and illness. God, we pray that you will heal where is in accordance with your will and that, God, you will strengthen their faith. And I pray, God, just a... Uh, an abundance of peace that passes all understanding that can only be known through Christ uh, would just manifest itself in their lives today. Father, be with us as we turn to your word today. We thank you for your word. And Father, how it encourages us, how it teaches us, how it is a sure, certain word from you of how we can have life and experience life more abundantly. And we pray for decisions that need to be made today as you invite us and draw us uh, into the depths of your will for our lives. God, I pray if there's any unconfessed sin in our lives, Father, even now we'll begin to confess that and to turn away from it. And Father, that we might be able to hear from you today. And Father, we'll leave here uh, more encouraged. We especially pray for the one who might be listening, who's never responded to your grace, who's never trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, we pray that this would be the day that they would call out for salvation and they would trust you. Speak to your church, challenge us today, and we'll give you thanks for what you're going to do. We trust in our hearts and lives today. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray and ask these things, and amen. You pray for Peggy now as she sings this morning. Wondering what happens after their last breath. And they fight a wave of fear inside of them every time they're forced to think of death. They never press to find real answers for the questions like this. I don't know how people live without Jesus. And I'm sure they have had some hard times face their share of dark and lonely nights and they are searching for some peace of mind and looking for a little hope but they believe the empty 
had some heartaches in my life and I've been laughed at and rejected I've had some long and lonely nights but what a comforter a counselor a shepherd and a friend what a helper and a healer what a savior he is so I don't know how people And the Word of God teaches you can't have life without Jesus Christ. Uh, for in Him and Him alone you can find life and life abundantly. And that's our prayer uh, today, that before this service is concluded, if you've never experienced spiritual life that can only be found in Jesus Christ, you'll turn to Him today in saving faith and trust Him and Him alone to be Lord of your life. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book, of Amos. We're continuing our studies on Sunday mornings through the Minor Prophets. And this morning, uh, we find ourselves in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 7. We'll begin to read in verse number 10 this morning. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on this subject, the key to success. The key to success, Amos chapter 7, and we'll begin to read in verse number 10 this morning. And there the Bible says, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, Flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. And the Lord said to me as I followed the flock, And the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us today. God, open and illuminate your word so that we can gain understanding. Father, we pray that you'll challenge us at the points where we need challenging today spiritually. Again, God, we pray that you'll overwhelm the lost of their need for you. Uh, How futile it is to continue to be religious and to try to be good in order to attain forgiveness and well standing with you. Father, I pray they'll see the only hope they have is to turn from sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray you'll encourage every believer, especially in these days and the days that lie ahead, to look to these texts today from the book of Amos. And God, those spiritual characteristics that marked his life, a life that was faithful to the calling that you placed on him and therefore successful in your eyes. God, I pray that those same spiritual characteristics will mark our lives today and in the days ahead. And through that, God, we can have confidence that the ministry, the personal day-in, day-out ministry that we conduct on your behalf as you lead us, it will be a success no matter what the response might be. Bless this time. Father, speak through your word. Draw us to your side. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
and amen. Well, Amos ministered uh, in northern Israel uh, prior to the 722 B.C. judgment. Uh, he was from the southern kingdom already. Our text this morning has alluded to the fact from his own mouth that he was a farmer. Uh, he was a herdsman and a farmer. But God calls those and God uses those who are already active in that work. And there's he was being faithful to what God had already called him to do. God called him to another mission, to be his mouthpiece, to speak on his behalf. Again, the nation of Israel, the world did not have the Canaanite scripture that we have before us this morning. And so God took men and he spoke through them the words that he wanted people to hear. Remember that when Amos ministered, the nation of Israel itself was really at the time, during the time of his ministry, was at a time of economic prosperity. There was political stability, both in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But the spiritual reality was far different. Uh, the nation of Israel was morally, absolutely morally bankrupt. And so God called Amos uh, during this time of economic prosperity and political stability to go and to speak to the northern kingdom and to call them, speak his message of repentance, and to call them to turn because judgment was coming if they didn't. Because Assyria ultimately invaded the northern kingdom, the northern, and the northern kingdom really never repented. Certainly there were individuals, there was a remnant that did, individual lives. But the nation as a whole didn't fully repent. Many people, especially if you put him in light of today's advice from so-called church growth experts, many would say his ministry was an ultimate failure because the nation didn't repent. But that's not how God judges success. Remember that Revelation chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 4 verse 1 is the rapture of the church. But chapters 2 and 3 are seven letters from Jesus to seven different individual churches, but those individual churches represent seven distinct ages uh, of, during church history, and certainly we're living in the Laodicean era. Only two of those churches, only two of the seven that the Lord wrote letters to, the Lord spoke no uh, ill word against. It was Smyrna and Philadelphia. Uh, they didn't have a large building program, uh, we don't see that they had strong attendance. We don't really see anything uh, about them that the world today would call success as far as bodies, bucks, and buildings. But what they did have was faithfulness. They were faithful to what God had called them to do. In the eyes of Christ, that was a success. He commended them because of their faithfulness. And so Amos, he was faithful. And faithfulness is success, again, in God's eyes. And that faithfulness, it, it sprang out uh, of, of a spiritual foundation. And that's the purpose of discipleship. Remember here at Greenwood, we share those three words all the time that really sum up the Great Commission. Reach, teach, and encourage. We seek to reach people for Christ, but that's not where it stops. That's only the beginning. Then we take baby, baby Christian, and we seek to try to help them grow in the Word and develop and mature. That's the purpose of discipleship. And then it's along the way, as they face adversities, challenges, and hardship, we want to encourage them to finish well, to keep moving forward in Christ. And so the, one of the purposes of discipleship is to help equip a believer to let God lay a spiritual foundation in their life and to build spiritual characteristics that all lead to faithfulness, and then faithfulness leads to success in God's eyes. And so to be faithful like Amos, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, not really the specific messages, uh, the message that he had to share, uh, but to look at his life. And we'll do that as we go along with our study of the Minor Prophets. We're going to see things that we should want to emulate, and then like Jonah, there will be things that we don't want to emulate. But Amos is one of those heroes of the faith. And if we're going to be a success in ministry the way he was in God's eyes, there's going to be six things, at least, that are going to be evident in our life. Number one, you need to be settled in your call. You need to be settled in your call. And we're going to be looking at the whole book today. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, And the words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, 
which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So he was just simply serving the Lord there where he lived in Judah in the southern kingdom, and God called him to ministry. He speaks of that in the text that we read this morning, chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. He wasn't a prophet already. He wasn't the son of a prophet. It wasn't a family business. He was just serving the Lord. And verse 15 says, God took him. Literally, God called him in the midst of what he was doing to do something else for a season. God told him to go to prophesy, uh, to speak, to speak on his behalf, to speak the word that God gave him to the northern kingdom. And so he walked away from everything that he knew to do what God had called him to do. And that's because he was settled. He didn't call himself to it. His mama didn't call him to it. It wasn't an emotional response because he'd gone to a Bible camp or a conference or he'd heard a song that stirred his heart or he watched a movie that made him misty-eyed. As he served God in faithfulness and was growing in the will of God, God revealed to him what his will was for him in ministry. And he was, he was settled in that. And in, in the midst of challenges and hardships that came against his ministry, and they're going to come against yours. When you really get settled in what it is that God has called you to do, Ephesians chapter 6, Apostle Paul says, you're going to face spiritual warfare. Satan will work through people, he'll work through circumstances, and he'll seek to discourage you, and discouragement leads to being sidelined. Uh, most often in ministry, it happens this way. We'll talk to people who haven't been to church in months, years. They used to serve God. There's a testimony of what they did. And you'll always hear it. Well, I, I got my feelings hurt. Something happened. And you'll always hear this statement, church hurt. They experienced some kind of church hurt. Well, friend, Amos wasn't one of those individuals that could be hurt into quitting. He was settled in what God had called him to do. And when the king of the northern kingdom's uh, high priest began to speak and say, look, we don't want to hear what you've got to say, it didn't discourage Amos to the point of wanting to quit. He knew what God had called him to do, and he kept moving forward in faithfulness. And friend, if you're going to be faithful in these days, and we don't know what the future holds with a new administration, a new America, how the world is. We have no idea. We don't know how long this virus and its effects are going to continue to exist in our country. But what we can know is what God has called us to each day. Certainly it's to live on mission. That begins in the home. And it's in the community, wherever, the sphere, wherever our sphere of influence is, wherever our feet carry us throughout the day. We know that we're to live on mission. But secondly, you need to be settled in what it is God has called you to do within the local church. Now again, I know that preventive precaution has stopped and hindered a lot of ministries within the life of the church. But what is it that God has called you to do within the life of the church? What's your spiritual gift? He's given you at least one when you got saved to help fulfill that. What is it God has called you to do? And if you don't know, what a great interim period for you to really sit back with God and in His Word and begin to pray and say, God, what is my spiritual gift? God, what is it that you've called me to do within the life of the church? And see, friend, how you use that gift, it really comes down to how, again, you see church. And we referenced that Wednesday in our message from the book of Jeremiah. You either show up to church with a bib on or an apron. And the reason the church has been ineffective with the Great Commission is because most church folk over the years, they've shown up to church with a bib on. Feed me. Take care of me. The church exists for me. But the process of discipleship should lead us to the place that we take away the bib and we put on an apron and say, how can I serve the Lord? What is it you've called me to do? And even in the face of hardship, even in the midst of challenges, even if people don't receive what it is you're sharing or what you're doing, if you're being faithful to what God has called you to do, you're a success in God's eyes. And Amos was settled, completely settled in what God had called him to do. And number two, you have to be sensitive to God's working. Be sensitive to God's working. That's to have a spirit of discernment of how God is working in your life and the lives of others, in the church, and in the world. Uh, Amos chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 10 
Amos begins to share with the nation of Israel how God had brought a series of challenging circumstances into the life of Israel to cause them to repent. And they all increased in intensity. It began with uh, they didn't have anything to eat. Uh, verse, verse number 6, then God withheld rain, which challenged them agriculturally. Chapter 4, verse 8, then they had the inconvenience of trying to find water to drink. Then verse 9, God struck their agricultural uh, life with plant disease. Then, then pests came. Uh, then they sent a disease, verse 10, amongst the people. And they began to suffer medically. And so the people were so spiritually dull. Don't miss this. They couldn't connect the dots. When I was a boy, uh, we used to get a book at the house. It was called Highlights. And there were several connect-the-dot pictures in there. There would just be dots, and then there would be numbers beside them. And if you could count from one to whatever the last number was, you could just connect those dots. And even if you couldn't draw, if you could just draw a straight line between dot to dot to dot to dot to dot to dot, by the end, you'd have drawn a picture. And God was trying to paint a picture to Israel of where they were spiritually. He was trying to stop them to get their attention. He was throwing literally spiritual body blocks in their path to try to cause them to stop. But Israel couldn't see that. And friend, you're never going to be sensitive to God's working. Listen, if you have a predetermined ending for your life, Israel did. They knew the nation that they wanted to be. It was a nation without God. They wanted God's blessings and they wanted God's protections. But they were going to live the way they wanted to. They were going to worship the way they wanted to. And certainly none of those hardships that God was bringing against their life could be from God. Well, it had to be from the enemy. It had to be the enemy that was just trying to keep them from experiencing their best life now. But Amos was sensitive to all those things. He said, look, all these hardships and these challenges, God sent those. And so he didn't miss the opportunity to challenge the people where they were spiritually because he had prayed for spiritual discernment, and he had that. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, prayed this for the church at Philippi. He says, And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ. And also, in that verse, disapprove by default the things that aren't excellent. Paul says, I'll pray that you'll have a spirit of discernment to see where God is working and where God is not. And so, pray for discernment. If you're going to be faithful to accomplish what it is that God has called you to do, you need to see where God is working in your life, in others' lives, in the lives of our country, and in the life of our world. Be sensitive to God's working. The nation of Israel was not discerning, but Amos was, and he was able to use what God was sharing. Number three, if you'd be faithful, the key to success is to be steadfast to God's mission. Be steadfast, not up and down. Listen, I'm thankful that the successful Christian life is marked by a series of new beginnings, but it's not God's plan for the tempo of our spiritual life to look like the stock market. Just up one moment and down the next. Up one moment and down the next. God's plan for every Christian is to have a life of progressive sanctification and spiritual growth in the person and in the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for our life is to be steadfast and to be faithful even in the midst of challenges and adversity. And that's what Amos did. He was just, even though he was living in a day of political stability, economic success where people weren't as easily turned uh, and tuned in to hear a word from God because they, everything was fine concerning what they considered success in life. Amos was faithful to do what God had called him to do. What was that? To share a message of repentance, to share a message of judgment, and to call the people to turn and to surrender their lives to Christ. Chapter 5, verse 5, he called the people in the, from the words of God. God said, seek me and live. 
And that's what Amos called the people to do, to abandon the direction they were going, to turn and to trust God. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Verse 8, the Lord is his name. Uh, he continued on and says, God says, verse 12, For I know the manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just, taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. These weren't positive messages. These weren't messages, that, as we see in chapter 7, that were well received from the people. But he called the people, in spite of that, to surrender to God's lordship, despite all the opposition. He was steadfast in what God had called them to do. Revelation chapter 3, and verse number 17. Uh, the Bible speaks about the heart of the Laodicean church. Jesus spoke to them and said, Because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy and I have nothing. He says, And you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That was the true spiritual reality. But they said, we're in need of nothing. What they said was, we'll need to change. This invitation that Amos is extending to us, we'll need to respond to that because we're good. Everything's fine in our lives. But Amos just continued to steadfastly keep speaking the Word of God and call and invite people to change. And friend, I want to share with you, you'll never lead someone to Christ and you'll never disciple anyone for Christ without steadfast faithfulness. Certainly the goal is results. We want someone to be saved. We want some to, someone to receive the Word and actually live it out and grow. But whether anyone hears, whether anyone receives, whether anyone repents and changes, God has simply called us to keep casting the net and trying to win people to Him and to disciple those that will sit under the teaching and the ministry of the church. And you can, you can have a discipleship ministry within your family, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. It's not just reaching people. It's teaching. It's helping those who have been saved to grow. Because there's a lot of people that have joined themselves to churches, and they're not being discipled in the whole counsel of the Word of God. They're being discipled in what will help them uh, feel good about themselves and keep coming back and stay. That's what Amaziah did. He told the people what they wanted to hear. There's a lot of churches that are doing that. And God may be strategically placing you in someone's life to share with them the whole counsel of God's Word that they might wholly submit their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and get all in. But you're never going to do that if you're not steadfast in that. It's easy to serve the Lord when there's no opposition. Everybody receives it and everybody's responding. But success, friend, is faithfulness despite the response, and despite the results. In these days, be steadfast to God's mission. And number four, be stressed over sin's penalty. Amos was. He was stressed over sin's penalty. He didn't rejoice that God was about to judge the nation of Israel. Look at verse 1 of chapter number 7. God shares with him a, a second vision of locusts, just like God had already sent during the ministry of Joel. And again, the hardship was, to, it was sent by God to cause and to call the people to repent, to cause them to stop, to take spiritual inventory, and to turn back to the Lord. And so verse 1, uh, Amos says, Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, the late crop was after the king's mowings. And so it was that as they had finished eating the grass of the land, Amos says, he began to pray and say, O oh Lord God, forgive, I pray. O oh, that Jacob may stand, for he's small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, says the Lord. God showed Amos a, 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 a hardship that he was about to send a judgment upon the northern kingdom where he was ministering. And Amos was brokenhearted over that. He wasn't apathetic. He began to, to cry out on the people's behalf and say, God, give, give them another chance. God, be, be long-suffering one more day with the people. And then God showed him a second vision. Verse 4, chapter 7. Thus, thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. And Amos began to cry out because he was, he was broken hard, because he was stressed. He was burdened 
over God's judgment against sin. He began to cry and say, O Lord God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob might stand for his small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, says the Lord. The Laodicean church, which represents today, they were absolutely apathetic and indifferent. Jesus said they weren't cold or hot. They were lukewarm. They're right in the middle. They just had a whatever attitude about anything that God had called them to do. That's not, listen, that's the way it was for the lost world where Amos was speaking, the people of God. But friend, Jesus says, sadly, that marks the church in the last days. Just an absolute whatever attitude. There's no burden, there's no brokenness over God's penalty against sin. Amos was truly burdened over the impending judgment. Friend, I'm telling you, one of the reasons that there's not more faithfulness to the Great Commission is because the church isn't broken about hell. It's rarely talked about, preached about, sung about. It's nothing that we rejoice in, but friend, just assures there a heaven where the redeemed will go. The Bible teaches there's a hell where all lost people will spend eternity. It's a place of eternal torment. The Bible says it's a place where the faint flame will burn forever. The fire's not quenched and the worm dieth not. It's a place of eternal darkness and separation from God, His mercy, and His grace that even lost people didn't know they were experiencing just because of the presence of the church in the world. We ought to be broken about that. We ought to be burdened about that. Friend, what I've seen from a lot of people who call themselves Christians is, is we see the things that are going on in their country. You know, they're saying, we, we, just, we need to bring judgment on all these people who think politically different than we do. And listen, in the days ahead, we don't have to rejoice and we shouldn't be glad in, in plat, political platforms and policies that are unbiblical, but the Bible says we're to pray for those. We're to pray for those who are in spiritual leadership. And so the idea that people are calling, well, well, Jesus, he'd lay the whip to them. No, friend, the Bible teaches in the New Testament, he didn't lay the whip to the lost and dying world. It was to those that represented who would be the church. When he came to the temple and the court of Gentiles had been turned into a place of money-making, but it was supposed to be a place of evangelism, that's who he laid the whip to. And so it's not to the lost and dying world, friend, that Jesus would turn the tables and lay the whip to. It's to the church who's failing to do what God has called it to do. It's from the cross that Jesus looked at the lost and dying world and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so I'm telling you, friend, all those in Washington, the world, left side and right side that are living like they have lost their minds, the reason why is because they don't know Jesus Christ. And that all break our hearts, it ought to burden us, and it ought to move us to action. First to pray and then to intercede in their lives and to share with them the hope that we've experienced in our hearts. Because if God can forgive me and God can forgive you, he can forgive them and he can save them and they can experience life and life more abundantly. But it begins with having brokenness. But not, there's not tears in the church. I'm telling you, friend, listen, I've been in ministry long, but in the 21 years I've been in ministry, the major grumblings and gripings I've heard, it's not been because somebody didn't get saved. It's just been because of pettiness. Absolute pettiness. God break our hearts in these days over the reality of hell and that all lost people who don't trust Jesus Christ die and go to a place called hell. Amos was stressed about that. And that's what ought to stress us out. That's what ought to burden us, friend. Is that, and we ought to be praying every day, God be long served. Give the church one more day. God, we're ready to see you. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But give us one more day. Give us one more invitation. Give us one more altar call to invite people to be saved. God, give us one more opportunity to encourage and invite backslid Christians to get all in so that they can finish well and not hang their heads at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Brokenness over lostness and unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness keeps you moving forward in the mission. Number five, be strict in biblical application. Be strict in biblical application. God's Word has declared what is right and what is wrong. God's Word has declared what is straight and what is crooked. Look what God declared through Amos. Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. Amos, says, after he displays the brokenness that he has over God's judgment against sin, he said, Thus he showed me 
Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? He said, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not pass by them anymore. The high places which were out of line of Isaac shall be desolate. The sanctuaries, the places of worship of Israel, which were out of line with God's word, they'll be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. God says, I'm, I'm establishing, and he already had, but he says, I'm establishing in the midst of Israel a plumb line. And that plumb line was his word. Now, for those of you who might not know what the plumb line is, it's what carpenters used to use years ago. It would be kind of the equivalent of what we call a level today. It was a string that had a large, heavy object on the end of it, and gravity would pull it straight down. And when it wasn't swinging to the left or right, and it was still, that rope would show what was straight up and down. And anything that was out of line that had been built with the plumb line was crooked. It wasn't that the plumb line was crooked. It's what had been built was crooked. And so when the Word of God, which is completely straight, which says what is right and what is wrong, what is straight and what is crooked, is lined up against someone's life and what's in someone's life, if it's crooked or out of line with God's Word, it's not the Word of God that's out of line. It's us that's out of line. And so Amos knew how to correctly, to strictly interpret the Bible, and because of that, he had strict biblical application. You see, how you apply the Bible, how you make application to your life and to your ministry is a direct result of how you interpret God's Word. You see, for those who build, they don't have anything to they don't have a desired outcome except for the building. If they're true builders, their true desire is for that building to be completely straight and plumb with the plumb line. They don't want to find a plumb line that will be in line with the building. They want to build the building in line with the plumb line. And all true followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want to find a word or a Bible or a ministry that will get in line with our lives. We want our life to be in line with the person and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in correct interpretation begins with the heart and also how you see God's Word. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 25, verses 4 through 5, he says, he says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. He says, God, show me your ways. He says, I don't, I don't want to find a way, a word from you, that lines up with my ways. He said, God, I want you to show me your ways. I want you to teach me your paths. He says, I don't have a predetermined uh, place that I want to end up, and therefore I'm going to find a word or just cherry pick and snap shoot out the passages that will, I can take out of context that will lead me to that place. He says, I want to know the whole counsel of your word, and I want you to teach me your ways, teach me your paths, and then lead me in that truth. What he's saying is this, build my life in line with your word. He says, that's, that's my desire. The psalmist also says in Psalm 86 and in verse number 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and then I'll walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, and I will praise you, O Lord, my God. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth. He says, show me what is straight. Show me what is right. He said, and that's the way I'm going to walk. That's the way I want my life to be built. And then therefore, as you seek to live on mission, those are the words that you're going to share. You're going to tell people what the Bible says about salvation. You're going to tell people about what the Bible says the life of a disciple looks like. And you have to realize that along the way, there are going to be people, they don't want their life in line with God's Word. And so they're not going to want to receive that. But if you're going to be faithful to do what God has called you to do, you have to be strict in biblical application. And that's the reason that a lot of people are in the shape that they're in. It's because churches have failed to teach and to show what's plumb and what's not plumb because it's not popular. But a lot of people failed 
to receive that truth. They don't want to know if it's out of plumb. They don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. Friend, it's not. Because I promise you, if you've never been saved, you'll find out one day because the Bible says you'll open your eyes in a place called hell one day when you die. And as a believer, you say, well, ignorance is bliss. No, friend, it won't be because the Bible says you will, if you've really been saved, one day you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to look Jesus in your eye. You can't lawyer up. You can't take your mom with you. You can't excuse it away like we do here in America and just blame it on somebody else. It's going to be you and Jesus. And you're going to give an account for what you've done and what you've failed to do in ministry. If you're going to be faithful, if you're going to be successful like Amos was in difficult days, Friend, you just got to stand on the truth of God's Word. If you would finish well, be strict in your application of God's Word. And application is determined by how you interpret God's Word. You don't cherry-pick. You take the full counsel of God's Word. It says what it says. It is what it is. And we simply follow it because we trust the Lord. And we want His best to come about in our lives, to build our lives in line with his word. And then number six, the secret to success, if you'd be found faithful, is to be sanguine about a better day. Sanguine about a better day. That word means to be optimistic and positive. Listen, it's not easy to alliterate sermons. So sanguine means, uh, sticking with the S's, to be optimistic and positive about a better day. I've always been mesmerized by chicken little Christians. Uh, that the sky's always falling. And listen, there are challenges that we experience every day. I realize that. There's some folks you talk to. How you doing? It's, just, it's always bad. It's all negative. It's, it's like Jacob uh, in, in the book of Genesis. All these things are always against them. Everything's bad. It's, it's always terrible. But the Apostle Paul, he saw the challenges and mercies of life in a different way. He saw these things are for me. He said, it is painful. It is challenging. It is, it is hard. But God's doing something. He's going to work it out for good. And, and the good's found in verse 29 of Romans 8. God's through these challenges, is conforming me to the image of Christ. And so that was a positive thing, but there was a, a more positive day. There was a better day, even in the midst of challenges and hardship, friend, for those who have trusted Christ, there's a better day that's coming. Now, that begins every day with Psalm 18, verse 24, just saying, no matter the hardship, no matter the challenge, no matter how positive the day might be, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. It's just choosing if God gives us another day to rejoice in that day, to know God has made it, and there's nothing peg played before it started, friend, that God's amazing grace can't strengthen us. How, you can't make it without Jesus. John 15, verse 5, that's what she's saying. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. How do people make it? They don't make it. They just exist. You, you can't flourish in life. You can't experience life until you know Jesus, and you can't, you can't grow and flourish and bear fruit as a Christian if you're not abiding in Christ, John 15. But, but what keeps us moving every day is being optimistic, sanguine about a better day that's going to come for the Christian. I know there's the potential for some hard days in our country, but friend, listen, God's Word says there's a great day that's coming. There's a, great, there's a greater day that's coming. And, and that encouraged Amos. He knew that. As he began to close out his book in, verse, in, in the remaining parts of, of chapter 8 through the first part of chapter 9, he speaks about uh, the judgment that, that God would send. Judgment that was going to come because the nation of Israel, God in his omniscience knew they weren't going to turn. And Assyria was going to come. Chapter 9, verse 10, he says, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say the calamity shall not overtake nor, nor confront us. God sent Amos to tell them, Listen, you better repent. You, be, you better get all in. But they listened to the voice of the false prophet. He said, No, nope, don't listen to that, Amos. He's just discouraging. God's, we're, the God, we're the people of God. God's not going to let anything happen to us. The same thing happens today. You tell lost people they need to repent. Nope. God of love would never send somebody to hell. You try to talk to safe, but you need to get all in. You need to fully commit your life to Christ. Quit riding the fence. Quit playing church. Get all in. You're legalistic, pastor. You're just legalistic. God says judgment will come against all those people who say the calamity shall not overtake us, and it did. 
But listen to the words of hope, verse 11. He says, and on that day, a different day, after God's judgment comes against the northern kingdom, on a different day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Judgment would come, but God had made a promise, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It was that, that protoevangelism passage, that he would one day send one who would bypass the sin nature of man that would redeem man for their sins. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God had told Abraham, I'm going to make a great mighty nation out of you. I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. And that came to be fulfilled, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time, Christ was born that he might redeem us from our sins and we could receive the adoption of sons. Be a part of the family of God. That was ultimately fulfilled. But for the nation of Israel, specifically, there would be a better day through, through the ministry of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. After the judgment of the southern kingdom, God rebuilt the temple there. It was different. The walls were restored. And there began to be a remnant that began to grow and continued to raise godly families. There weren't many, but they continued to do that to where in the fullness of time, God stepped into the midst of history and a woman by the name of Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and she gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. God fulfilled his promise. And so there was a better day for the nation of Israel. They returned from captivity. But God also here is speaking about when the Gentiles would be able to experience God's grace. These verses in Amos chapter 11 and verse number 12, they're the same words in Acts chapter 15 that James spoke to challenge all the Judaizers who after the day of Pentecost began to say, well, if someone's really going to be saved, all these Gentiles, after Peter's gone to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, they've got to take the outward seal of the Jews, and they've got to become Jews first. Then they can be saved. And through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, James stood up and began to read these verses and say, in verse number 12, and say, listen, no. God's going to establish Israel that Israel may possess the remnant of Edom, all those who are outside of Israel, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Not that they would be Jews, but they would be born into the church by the Holy Spirit. He spoke about a better day. They were experiencing hardship then, but there was a better day that was coming. But then he speaks of a third day. He, verse 13 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. God says, verse 14, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them, and they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord their God. What's he talking about? This is the millennial reign of Christ. This is when Jesus returns to the earth after seven years of great tribulation and establishes his kingdom upon this earth for a literal thousand years. And the Bible promises, friend, listen, in that day, Amos is going to be there, Hosea's going to be there, Joel's going to be there, Jonah's going to be there, Peter's going to be there, Paul's going to be there, and I want to tell you something, Chad's going to be there, Scotty's going to be there, Tina's going to be there, and if you've been saved, you're going to be there. It's a better day, friend. Listen, when Jesus is going to rule on this earth for a thousand years, and there will be peace and peace alone because of him. And so in the midst of hard days as we're seeking to be faithful to what God has called us to do, when Satan is constantly coming against us with spiritual warfare to try to discourage us, to try to sideline us, to make us think that all is lost and that there's no hope whatsoever, be positive and optimistic in these days, friend. And remember, there's a better day coming. And that God's still on his throne and he will fulfill his promises. And he's coming back for his church. And then Jesus is going to come back. He's going to rule and reign on this earth. And we're going to be here with him. And that encourages me in these days to keep moving 
forward in faithfulness. Because tomorrow, even today, but tomorrow as we look toward tomorrow, tomorrow might be the very day that Jesus comes for his church. And if he comes, I want to be found faithfully doing what he's called us to do. It's been rightly said that the me you see is the me that you will be. And if you don't see these qualities in your life, if it's not a prioritized purpose to make sure that these six qualities exist in your life, then that's not who you're going to be. You're not going to have a ministry like Amos where you're found faithful and faithfulness is success. And so if you don't see those things today, just resurrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ today and say, God, from today and this day forward, my prayer, God, is that you will find me faithful. Because, Lord, I look to Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, and I just confess with the Apostle Paul, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me, shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Trust in that. Look to that. And might these characteristics be a reality in your life? Friend, I want to tell you, you can't begin to live for Christ until you know Him. The Bible teaches it doesn't matter how religious you are, how good you've been, if there's never been a moment in your life where you've repented of your sin and trusted Jesus. The Bible says you're lost today. And I want to invite you in the quietness of your heart right now just to choose to repent. Repentance is to agree with God, to confess your sin, and to desire change. And then by faith to trust Jesus, what he did on the cross. The Bible says that little baby that we just celebrated, that Christmas that was born, 33 and a half, one and a half years later, that baby became a man. And that man was nailed to an old rugged cross because the wages of sin is death. And he died in your place. That's how much he loves you. He died for you. They took him off that cross and placed him in the tomb. And the Bible says that three days later, victoriously, he came out of that tomb, signifying, friend, that God had accepted his sacrifice as a payment for your sins and showed us the life now that we can have in him. Would you not trust in that death and in that life that he still lives today to be a payment for your sin and ask him to place that life in you? You do it by faith. Romans 6.23 says it's the gift. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8.9 says you can't work for it, you can't earn it. It's a gift that you simply receive by faith. Won't you do that today? In the quietness of your heart right now, won't you just bow your heads and close your eyes if you've never been saved? And just pray like this, but it's got to reflect your heart. Say, dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I agree with your word. Your spirit is just convicting me of my lostness and my need for you. And God, I'm turning from all the sin and all the lostness in my life. I believe Jesus died for me, rose from the grave. And in faith, I'm turning to you today. And I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I don't want to rule or reign over any part of my life. God, if my heart is a throne, I'm taking myself off. And I want Jesus to sit down on it, be Lord of me. If you prayed that prayer, you've asked Christ to come live and reign in your heart. Won't you write us here at the church office? You can do that by email. You can write us at Post Office Box 28, Udawah, Tennessee, 37363, or call us. We'll get get back in touch with you so that we can give you some information and some resources that can help you now that you've trusted Christ. All right, church family, those that are listening, how do you see the adversities that are possibly in front of us in the days ahead. Friends, it's an opportunity. These are the days that God, by His providence, has chosen to place us in His service. And so let's be like Amos. Let's let those qualities be found in our lives so that we can faithfully do what God has called us to do. The me you see is the me that you will be. If those qualities aren't a reality in your life today, 
maybe in the quietness of your heart right now, just pray, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my unfaithfulness. Forgive me for my response toward those, Lord, in our country and our world who are moving to establish things that are contrary from, from your word. God, I don't have to like the laws and the rules and the agendas, but God, those people are lost. They don't know you. And God, I'm going to pray for them. Give me a heart like Jesus that says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then, Father, might that burden move me to action in these days, in my neighborhood, in the workplace, in the community. And Father, I'm not just going to pray for the lost. I'm going to tell the lost how to be saved. God, help me to be faithful in discipleship. Might I have a foundation of faithfulness to be able to speak from so that I can't be labeled a hypocrite. Father, use me in these days and God, might the sum total of my life's ministry be a success in your eyes, not to my glory, but to the glory of Jesus Christ alone, who sought me, who bought me, and who redeemed me. It's in his name we pray. We thank you for joining us. If you have needs, call us here at the office, and we'll do everything that we can to come alongside you. Pray for each other. Uh, pray for us in these days that God will continue to give us wisdom and discernment uh, to know how and when uh, to begin services here again at the church. Be safe. Do your part. Be a good steward of your body. Be a good steward of your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Until we meet together again this Wednesday night at 6.30, I will pray God's richest blessings upon you. Thank you for joining us today.